Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 1. Everybody say, therefore. All right, everybody say it. Therefore. Amen. Thank you. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation, which at the first was, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. I want to go back to verse number 1, and I want to read that one more time. Therefore, we ought, everybody say we ought, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip away. Everybody said amen. My subject tonight is simply this. An end time attitude that we all need. Everybody say we all need it. How many of you believe that we are living in the end of time? You believe that? Anybody still believe that? I do. We are living close to the coming of the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated. I read the other day the story of a young girl who came into her mother very sheepishly and a bit fearful. And she said to her mother, Mom, you know that vase that you said had been handed down from generation to generation in our family? Mother said, well, sure, honey. I I know which one you're talking about. The young girl looked back at her mother and said, well, I'm sorry to tell you, but this generation has dropped it. And as humorous as that might be, it is also extremely sad. Because it is the reality of the world in which we live. That a lot of the fundamental things that we have all believed and held and we have lived our life by seem to be falling out of our grasp. I read just this day. I had seen it, but I had not read it. But I took the time today to read it. With great concern, an article that was written concerning the Anglican Church at large. In a lengthy interview in the London Times, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, predicted 
this week that the Anglican community at large might not be able to hold together. What a profound statement for the head of a denomination or organization of churches to say that I am not sure that our movement is going to be able to hold together. He said there are divisions that have come among us and in the current climate in which we live, there are a lot of things that are up in the air. And this is what he said, and this is what stopped me in my tracks. He said the issue that's splitting the Anglican church is not just sexuality, referring to the gay and lesbian ordeal that's going on in the religious realm. But he said it is how attached to the Bible's teaching do we intend to be in the future. Think about that for a moment. The Anglican bishop, the Archbishop of Canterbury, said that what is splitting our denomination is not just issues of sexuality, but it is how attached do we want to stay to Bible teaching. Now, you might say, well, that's the Anglicans, that's not us. Well, I've come to tell you tonight that in spite of what we might think about ourselves as Bible-believing people, I have lived to see the day and the time when a lot of things have changed. And it's not a denominational issue any longer. Across denominational lines, there are questions that circle all of all belief systems in our world, or at least those involving Christianity, and they have to do with what do we believe? Or do we believe anything at all? And if we're going to believe something, what are we going to hold on to? Or what are we going to let go of? And what are we going to preach about? And what are we going to teach about? so tonight, I come with the Word of God. I think we all realize that we live in an hour when the currents of life that are sweeping around us are moving with such force that we are propelled into change whether we want it or not. There are things every day in our life that are changing and we are not saying much about it, but those things are being altered, helter-skelter, and because of the currents that are around us and the forces that are pushing us forward, whether you like it or not, folks, there are issues that are being raised right now because they believe that the powers that be are behind them, whether it be political or any other fashion of society. And so there are issues 
that perhaps were in the corner or in the shadows yesterday, but they are being flouted and flaunted before our faces today, and we are being forced to accept them. We are being forced to say, well, I guess it's okay if that's what you want to do. And as much as we don't like to admit it, there are currents that are pushing us, that are pushing us and driving us tonight, currents that will, if we are not careful, take us to places that we don't really want to go. Currents that if we're not careful will cause things that really matter to slip through our grasp. There are so many things that are changing in our world that it's hard to keep up with it all. It's not just iPads and iPhones. I wish that's all that was changing. I wish that all we had to worry about was what they're going to put on your plate when you go eat tonight, whether it's going to be healthy enough for you or what kind of stuff they put in it to make it look healthy. Amen. I wish that was all we had to worry about. I, I, I wish that all that we had to worry about was what was in the nuggets at McDonald's. But I'm, I'm here to tell you that's the least of my worries. I don't eat nuggets from McDonald's anyway, so it doesn't matter to me. I know I'm going to offend some of these kids, but if that was all that I had to worry about, I, I wouldn't be too concerned tonight, but there are changes that are happening to more than just chicken McNuggets. And more is changing than just the operating system on your computer or the iPad or the iPhone that you hold in your hand that tomorrow is going to be obsolete and they're going to come out with a newer, better version and people are going to sell their soul to have it because we got to have the latest gadget. The disturbing thing to me is that the things that are changing in our life are changing and nobody seems to be raising a voice about it. The things that are changing in our life are not changing going out screaming and yelling and saying, no, 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 no. The things that are changing in our world and in our society are literally slipping in. I mean, they are so covertly done that we don't even realize it's done until it's done. It's amazing to me. I, I don't want to get into the political stuff tonight, but it's amazing to me that when they go to pass a bill in Congress that there's a hundred thousand addendums that they try to slide under the radar that everybody thinks is going to be a stimulus for our economy when in reality it's just something that's going to fill somebody else's pocketbook. But those things slip in and nobody says anything. If change happened and, we, and, and there was alarms that went off and bells and whistles and there was somebody like me standing before you said, Hey, pay attention. Wake up. Listen, something's changing in your life. You may not like the end result of what's going to happen. That would be one thing, but it's not. That's not what's happening. Change is happening so imperceptibly that we don't even realize it's changed until we wake up and realize, man, where have I been? Am I not telling you the truth? 
change is slipping in. But not only is change slipping in, it is, it's methodical. It's amazing to see the agendas of, of those that are pushing certain issues in our world and how they go about politically bringing it to the point where it's acceptable. They throw it out first and it's repulsed, but they bring it back and they disguise it or they garb it in something different and they slide it back in and the next thing you know, instead of us arguing against it, we just embrace it. We accept it. And there, it's happening so subtly. It's amazing that almost 2,000 years ago, a man could be inspired of the Lord and anointed of God to see ahead, not just in that day, but to see ahead to a time when it would be easy for things to slip in, just slide under the radar. Nobody's yelling, screaming. Nobody's jumping up and down, pulling their hair, saying, no, 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 no. It just happens so subtly that by the time it's done, we don't realize it's been done. And so things slip away. And that's what the writer to the Hebrews said that we must be aware of and we must Take heed. We must give all diligence. We must pay attention that we do not allow things to slip through our hands that are of eternal value and eternal consequence. We, we cannot allow ourselves to be so low to sleep by the rocking and the moving of life and the comfort of life. You know what? I dare say that none of us have life more comfortably than we've had it. We got it. We've got it right now. And so that boat just keeps on rocking. And unfortunately, a lot of folks just keep on sleeping. And all the time they're sleeping. What happened when that? What's the story about Rumpled? What was his name? Did he go to sleep? Was that the, who, who am I talking about? What's Rip Van Winkle? That's it. Went to sleep, and when he woke up, what happened? Huh? Change. Everything had changed, and so it is. Even in the day in which we live, there is this movement in life. And it's not rocking us. It's not really. I know it comes across sometimes as a, just a slap in the face. But most of the time it's just this easy going. And things, when you get in places like that, get real slippery. But not only are things slipping away. I, I've been noticing things are slipping in. Ooh, under the radar. Things that we used to not tolerate in our life. It's amazing. Looking, pastoring 20-something years and seeing people through that period of time, how things begin to slip in. A little here, a little there, a little this, a little that. You know what I'm talking about. 
And then, after those things slip in, then we start trying to slip by. Hmm. <laughs> People hide anywhere. They'll hide in a pew. They'll hide in the foyer. They'll hide in the Sunday school class. They'll hide in the parking lot. Just slip by. Come in, show up, wave. Hey, everybody. And Paul said, and I believe it was Paul who wrote this, Therefore, in light of what I'm talking to you about, you need to sit up and pay attention. You need to listen to what this preacher has to say tonight. You need to open your ears and your mind and your heart and turn the alert sound on and hear what God has to say and take heed. Amen. Everybody say, take heed. I have been moved the last few days by the implications of what this verse of Scripture speaks to my soul. He speaks a truth that is the most powerful and forceful that could be spoken to any of us when he said, we ought to. I look the word ought up. It means you must do this. You should do this. You had better do this. It is of necessity that you do this. Amen. We ought to do this. Everybody say we ought to. We must. We have to. Amen. It is essential. It is necessary. If we don't, if, you know, I remember people threatening me saying, you better do it. And I knew when they said that what they meant. That the consequences of me not doing that were not going to be those that I like. And so he said, we ought to, we ought to, we ought to do what? We ought to give the more earnest heed. I love the way Paul said it. He didn't isolate somebody and say, I'm talking to all the reprobates in the church. I'm talking to all the gossipers in the church. I'm talking to all the backslidden folks in the church. I'm talking to all the people that are, that are not living for God the way they... He said, we, everybody. Everybody say we. He said, ain't nobody exempt from what I'm fixing to tell you. Whether you've had God in your life for two months or 20,000 years, you're not exempt from what he is saying. He said, we must do this. Everybody in this building has to be aware of it. Not a select few, not the weak, not the carnal, but the admonition was to everybody in this building. Why? Because Paul understood that this slippage of life does not just happen to a few select folks, that it doesn't just happen to the weak and the carnal, that it doesn't just happen to those that don't care, but slippage happens to Everybody, 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 everybody say everybody, amen, everybody, praise God, smile real big, some of you look like you're on the death train right now, amen, praise God, everybody, everybody, all of us need to do this, how vulnerable all of us are, 
when I read that the other day, something shuddered in me. I thought, God, you're talking to me. I've been living for you for 40-something years. You're still talking to me. He said, yes, I'm still talking to you. Because you are just as vulnerable to let things slip away from you as the newest convert on the pew is or the most carnal person in this church. That there is something about life that if you're not careful, it gets to the place where you don't even realize it. You, you don't even recognize the changes that have taken place. Other people see it, but you don't see it. How many times have we had change in our life and somebody come and said, oh, you've got a new thing on, and you argue with them. No, I don't have nothing new on. When the truth is it's new to them because they had never seen you in it before. How many of us will argue with God and argue with the preacher and argue with the Word of God? Oh, he's not talking to me tonight. He's talking to my wife, or he's talking to my husband, or he's talking to somebody on that other piano. I know who he's talking to. I'm talking to you, every one of you tonight. <laughs> I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to my own soul tonight. That I am not an exception to this slippage in life. And the only antidote in such an hour is what our text says is that we would give the more earnest heed. When I read that the other day, it hit me like a freight train. The word heed, that word has been reverberating in my mind and heart for the last few days. That word speaks to me every time I turn around. It comes back to the forefront of my mind. You must take heed. You must give heed. You must obey. You've got to pay attention. Be concerned about this. Be careful. Be watchful. Be on guard. Be in continuous, uh, a continuous state of readiness. Pay more close attention to it. Amen. Anybody remember when your mother used to say, you look at me. When I'm talking to you, you look at me. And your eyes are everywhere but there because you know what that look meant. Sometimes she'd grab you by the chin and she'd pull you where eyeball to eyeball. Well, I want to get eyeball to eyeball with you tonight because the Holy Ghost has been eyeball to eyeball with me this afternoon. And I want to speak to you what Paul was trying to speak to a church, that we must give the more earnest heed. If there's ever been a time that we needed to be aware, alert, careful, uh, conscious now, 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 in the currents that are moving. He, 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 he speaks to us and he clarifies the timing. He said, lest at any time. Everybody say any time. Now, I can usually predict failure in people's lives. I just have to watch them a little bit. I mean, you can do that. Church, as a pastor... It doesn't take a rocket scientist to see people when they stop coming to the altar, when you stop seeing them pray, when you stop seeing them do the things that they used to do. You know there's a problem spiritually in their life. And that if they don't turn, 
that before long they're not even going to recognize that God is even speaking to them. And I've been praying this last week. I said, God, there are people in our church that cannot wait until January for you to move in their life. By the time January moves around here, they're going to be so hard and so brittle and so cold and so distant that they can't even hear you if you did speak. We need you tonight. We need you to move in this service. We need you to wake us up tonight. We need you to stir our minds tonight. So that we wake up and realize, I need to get a grip on it. I need to get a better hold of these things. Lest they slip at any time. Everybody say any time. When you least expect it. And it happens imperceptibly. Slightly. Silently. Faintly. Inaudibly. There's not even a voice. Not even a whisper as it slips out the door and is gone. Wake up. Wake up. Listen to me. I'm not, sometimes I feel like a dinosaur. I feel like I'm, a, I'm just a wolf howling in the desert. Because when I speak to some people what I'm speaking tonight, they just look at me like they roll their eyes back in their head and say, Brother, you don't you have anything better to say? I do have a lot more to say, but I want to tell you the most important thing I could say to anybody here tonight is you need to take the more earnest heed lest at any time the most valuable and precious things slip through your hands. Young people, don't let you be the generation that drops this. Mom and dad, young mom and dad, don't let you be the one who drops what has been handed to you. And old folks, you hear this old man or older man. Don't you let drop from your hands what you have held on for all of your life and you come to the end of life and you deny it and walk away from it. Do not allow those things to slip from your grasp. You say, Brother Hughes, it's too archaic. Well, you know what? I'm just going to have to be a dinosaur howling in the wilderness. But I am not going to go back on what I know this book says. You say, Brother Hughes, it's not very popular. I know it never has been. It's not culturally conducive. It never has been. It is too anti-me. It always has been. Amen. Well, Brother Hughes, it's too harsh. It all depends on how you look at it. If you're dying of cancer and the doctor says, okay, you have two options. You can die or you can let me cut you open from your tongue down to your belly and get that out of you. Now, you decide what you want. How many of you would lay yourself on that table and say, cut me open, knowing the months of rehabilitation, knowing the pain that you're going to have to go through, knowing the number of times you're going to have to push that morphine pump. But you'll do it because you know the options are a whole lot better if I let them do that work and I have the opportunity to live. Amen. Amen. Give the more earnest heed 
to the things that we have heard, lest at any time they slip away from us without us even knowing. Amen. The fearful curse of this hour, listen to me, the fearful curse of this hour is not what some of us think it is. It is not the boldness and the aggressiveness of sin. The fearful curse of this hour is the indifference of people who should be making a difference and we're not. Amen. You see, when drift happens, it happens without people even noticing. And that seems to be the world that we are living in. I wrote it down and I want to find it, but so many times all that we really need to do is just pay attention. Amen. There is little focused effort. There is little purposeful pursuit. There is more aimlessness in this hour than I have ever seen in my 20-something years of pastoring and 40 Years of ministry. Aimless. I don't mean bad people. I don't mean wicked people. I don't mean horrible people. I mean people that are just kind of flowing with the tide. Hanging loose. Amen. I'm going to get through it. You're going to get through it too. You're going to live beyond this, I think, but you may not be the same. I don't want to sound like an alarmist, but I am a watchman on the wall, and I want to sound an alarm. The danger of indifference in our life is more dangerous than anything that I know of. Too much is at stake. My soul, your soul, my destiny, my salvation, all of those things are at stake, and I must not let them slip away. Amen. Amen. I, you know, he did not say, this is, this is what the Lord so impressed on my mind today, is that he did not say they're going to deny what they know. They're just going to drift from what they know. He didn't say that they were going to denounce what they know they were just going to drift from what they know. Amen. He didn't say they were going to... Uh, what, what word could I use? They weren't going to just overtly say it. They would just neglect it. So he said, I want to send a word. I want to speak a word into your life. That in an hour when it is most important for you and I to be paying attention, listen to me. Give the more earnest heed to the things that you have heard. When I got to thinking about that today, I thought, God, what, what are we drifting away from? And there's a lot of things, but there are three things that really jumped out at me that we are drifting away from, not just the world, but even the church. 
And the number one thing that we are drifting away from is this word right here. This book. We are drifting away from the inspired word of God. How many of you silently in your own mind question the validity of this word that you may have been taught all your life? It's infallible. It's irrevocable. It is unerring. It is the word of God. And yet in the back of your mind, somehow it just doesn't equate with the society that we live in. And so instead of calling our society into question, we call that into question. And so the word is happening every day. I cannot tell you, I've been watching over the last few weeks the number of articles, and they're up at the top of the list on Yahoo. I don't know about AOL or India, but on Yahoo, they're at the top of the list of news searches. And almost every day, there are at least a handful of attacks against spiritual virtues, spiritual principles, and things that we have held dear to all of our life. And every day, there's another attack on the Word. Somebody said today that God doesn't hear. Another person said that God doesn't speak. Today. Today. Not yesterday, not last week, but the intelligent folks of our world say that we have outgrown this book. That it's too archaic. You know what we've outgrown? The reason we've outgrown it is because we don't like what it requires of us. And because we don't like what it requires of us, we just say, okay, we're just not going to believe it anymore. And I'm here to tell you, whatever denomination you want to put over your head, when you get to the pearly gates, he's not going to look to see whether you were that or this or another. He is going to find out whether your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And the only way my name is going to get here is if I have been obedient to this word and I have fulfilled the requirements that God has put in this word. You said, Brother Hughes, that will not fly in the world in which we live. I know. And that's why this book is slipping away. That's why the validity, the necessity of the Word of God, the utter necessity of that Word is slipping from us. There are some of us even here tonight that don't believe we have to come to church regularly or we don't have to come or hear the Word or we don't have to read the Word. There are some even of us here tonight that do not really feel compelled to have to go to this book that we don't need that anymore. We are much more advanced and we know much more than our forefathers who were just simple bumpkins that didn't know any better. That's how we're portrayed. But I want to come and tell you tonight again. I want young people, you hear me tonight. This word is still inerrant. This word is still infallible. This word is never changing. It never dies. The world will pass away and all that is in it, but the word of God will stand forever. And I would rather stake my life on a word that will stand forever than to put my hopes in a world that doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell. I want to stand on the one thing that will not go away, and that is the eternal, ever-living, everlasting word of God. 
Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. Brother, you, you get so worked up. I know I do, but I get excited about the Word of God. Amen, 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 amen. You hear me tonight? This Bible cannot be compared with any other literature of the world because the literature of the world was written by a man. But this word was written by those who were inspired. God breathed upon them. God anointed them. You say, Brother Hughes, I don't understand it. And therefore, I cannot believe it. i tell you what to do. Believe it and therefore you will understand it. Amen. Clap your hands and praise Him with me right now. Oh, yes. You can be seated if you can for just a moment. I cannot be satisfied with just a story. I don't need somebody stroking my ego. I don't need somebody giving me a self-help seminar. I need somebody to preach me the Word. I said, I need somebody to preach me the Word. I need somebody that will stand up and say, the Word will save you. The Word will deliver you. The Word will give you life. The Word will get you out. The Word will heal you. Amen, 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 amen. I don't need it watered down. I don't need it sugar-coated. I don't need it diced and sliced and dissected and cut out the parts that you don't like. When God handed Ezekiel the word, he said, eat it, all of it, all of it. Not just the parts that you like and ignore the parts that you don't like, but eat all of it because it's all of it that's going to help you get through all of it. Amen. Amen. Thomas Jefferson didn't believe in the miraculous. And so in the Library of Congress is the Thomas Jefferson Bible. In that Bible you will find the life and times of Jesus minus all of his miracles. And the sad tragedy is that Thomas Jefferson's Bible ends at a tomb. But my Bible doesn't end at a tomb. My Bible doesn't even end with a resurrection. My Bible ends when God said, let everybody come. Come on, all things are now ready. Enter into the joys of life. You that's been faithful, you that's been true, you that's held on, you that have embraced my word and lived my word, enter into the joys of life. And everybody else... Depart from me because I never knew you. Mm. Brother Hughes, that won't fly today. I know. That's what's slipping. You can be seated. The Word will help you. The Word will encourage you. I don't need to understand it to believe it. I need to believe it, and then I'll understand it. I want to tell you what you need to stop doing. You need to stop arguing with the Word and embrace the word and say, God, there's some of this I understand. There's a whole lot of it I don't understand. Help thou my lack of understanding. Help thou mine un. 
believe. Amen. Help my sick faith. That's what he said. Help my sick faith. Quit slicing and dicing it. And just take it for what it is. Not a story, but the word. God breathed. Amen. And folks, we better get a better grip on this because if we're not careful, it's going to slip away from us and we won't even know when it left. You say, no, Brother Hughes, God won't let that happen. I will tell you, God will let that happen. The Bible says that he will let people believe a lie and be damned. Amen. He will... If you love that and you embrace that, God will let, he will send a strong delusion and you will love a lie and be damned. The Bible also tells me that he went into a city and they would not let him do any miracles because of their unbelief. He didn't jump up and down and scream at them and say, you bunch of reprobates, I'm never coming into your city again. The Bible said he just turned and quietly walked out of that town and never find one place in Scripture where he ever went back. It's not, it's not going to happen. You think God, you know, you can play with God and play with church and play this and play that, and when, when, you're, on the, when you're on the edge, God's going to come screaming to you and say, oh, no, 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 no. He's going to send a preacher and he's going to act like he's acting the light and say, no, 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 wake up. If God would not send somebody at the request of poor Dives, who was burning up in hell. He was so tormented, he was begging for not a cup, not a bottle, but a drop of water. He said, if you could just put a drop of water on my parched tongue. And he said, I can't do it. There's a, there's a gulf between us. And he said, then I'll tell you what I need you to do. I need you to send somebody back to my family and tell them, don't come, don't come, don't come, don't come, don't come, don't come, don't come. But God said, I can't send anybody back because if they won't believe the men that I've already got there, they're not going to believe somebody coming back from the dead. And the truth is, if I don't embrace the word of God, it doesn't matter who's preaching it. If I don't embrace that word and say, God, give me life tonight. Speak something into my life. Give me direction. Help me. Strengthen me. I want to hold on to this because this word is the only thing that's not going to melt away. I want to hold on to what. I don't want this to slip away from me. Amen. And I'm going to tell you what, that the closer we get to the coming of the Lord and the, or the longer he delays his coming, the more out of step with the world we are going to be. So quit trying to fake it. And act like, well, you know, we're not so weird after all. You know, we're, we're not so different after all. We're not what you think we are. Yes, we are. We believe the Word of God. That puts you in an isolated category. You're already a marked person. But you know what? When it's all said and done, we're going to look back through the ages and say, thank God I held on to the Word. Thank God I didn't let it slip out. It's not this generation, not this generation. I'm not letting it slip out of my hands. I'm not letting it slip out. I'm going to hurry. I'm closing. Not only is the word slipping, I want to tell you what's, what else is slipping out and slipping away. Jesus the Christ. Don't, don't, don't miss what I'm about to say to you. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the anointed one. The only begotten of the Father. 
The world in which we live is, is denigrating, denigrating and putting down this idea that there's any one Savior of mankind. And there are all of these ways that we can reach God and we can reach this nirvana or this place of utopic happiness and joy. And it doesn't matter how you come as long as you get there. I've come to tell you tonight that Jesus Christ is still the way. He is still the only way. You said, Brother Hughes, that sounds mean. No, that's just the fact. That is the Word of God. The only way. Not a way of many ways, but the only way. He said, nobody comes to the Father but by me. Who was he talking about? He was talking about the eternal God. Nobody's going to get to God except through his vessel that he has anointed and commissioned as the Savior of the world. He is the only hope. It is not Jesus plus something else. It is not Jesus and something else. Somebody said, well, Brother, you, you sound like Jesus only. That's exactly what I mean to get to. I am Jesus only. Amen. I don't deny the Godhead. I don't deny what there was in that Godhead. But when it comes to salvation and when it comes to my eternal rest, it is going to be a fact that part of that is going to be my submission to the work and the lordship of that physical body, Jesus Christ, that crucified on the cross, rose from the grave, won victory for all of us here tonight. If I stand in heaven, it's going to be because I was obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Some of you said, Brother Hughes, I don't know what you're saying. Well, you better get in your Bible and start reading and find out what I'm saying. No, man, there's not just a door or, or many doors, but he said, I am the door. He is the only way. He is still the only way. He is the only life. And he will never, ever let that change. Amen. Praise God. Amen. The only physical body you're going to see when you get to heaven is Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what the Bible said. Revelation said, I saw a throne. And how many on the throne? Oh, I thought there was a trinity. I thought there were three up there. Well, the Bible said there was a throne, a throne, and one who sat on that throne. W.A. Criswell, in his own commentary on the book of Revelation, said that when you get to heaven, don't expect to see anybody else but Jesus Christ. Hmm. The invisible spirit of God envelops the universe, but he housed that spirit in a fleshly body, and he walked among us just like a man, but he overcame everything that was against man that I might be free. Folks, I'm not going to let that slip away from me. I'm not going to let somebody talk me down and say, well, you know what? Jesus was a good man. He was a good prophet. He, he was a good teacher, but you know what? There's a lot of other great teachers. No, he is not just a teacher. He is the teacher of life listen to me young people don't let anybody don't let any of your school teachers try to push you in a corner and tell you that 
that Jesus is just, he's just a good guy. He's more than a good guy. Don't let that slip from you. Don't let the truth of who he was and who he is to you slip away from you. And that's what's happening in our world. The Bible is slipping away and the ministry that Jesus Christ come to perform for us is being watered and neutered down to where it means nothing. It's just one other philosophy among all the many philosophies of the world. Well, here I'm going to tell you something. I can take you to Mohammed's grave tonight. I can take you to Buddha if there was a grave. I can take you to all of those others. But when you go to Jerusalem, you're going to find one thing different from all of those others. You're going to find a tomb, but there ain't going to be nobody in it. There's no body. There's no bones because he could not be held by that grave. He is alive forevermore. Now, I want to ask you the same thing that was asked of a Muslim who converted to Christianity. He said it was very simple. I came to a crossroad. And there was a living God and a dead one. Which one do you think I wanted to believe? Amen. I'm not making fun. I'm simply saying that Jesus is still the answer for the world today. And I'm not going to let that slip away from me. Not only that, we're not going to debate what we believe about this. We're not going to draw in the question, well, well, you know, I don't know if that really fits. That. That's a cultural thing. That's a time thing. Amen. Praise God. Oh, I know you're loving this. I can tell. You're just squirming in your shoes right now saying, Brother Hughes, please quit. Please, please, please. I'm going to say one more thing. I'm going to tell you what else is slipping away from us. And that is the convicting power of the Holy Ghost. When was the last time that you sat in a service when all of a sudden in the middle of a service because of the power of God Somebody jumped up and ran to the altar and fell down on their face before God and started calling out to God. Oh, we're too cultured for that. We can't have that. They'll come tap you on the shoulder to some church and say, you know what I'm going to do? Amen. I was preaching one night, and there was an old man in this community he was just a devil. His wife was one of the most precious saints of God you've ever met in your life. I don't even know how she lived for God. That man would beat her. She would come to church, and she knew if she came to church and she went home that she was going to get a beating. It went on for years. I mean literally years. He hated God. He hated church. He hated what his wife had what she represented, but she never stopped. She never one time quit coming to church. She never time, she, she just stayed faithful to God. And we were in revival. It was in Jefferson, Texas. And that old man started coming to service. I don't know if he'd come to see if he could scare me. I don't know. But, oh, folks, I've been... I had saints that tried to scare me. If saint can't scare me, some devil's not going to scare me. I can tell you that. But anyway, he, he, he came in there and sat down on that pew, and he didn't move a muscle. He looked mad as a wet hen. Sawed up, puffed up. And so we just had church, and try, I tried to ignore him. I preached, and he just glared at me like, I don't believe a word you're saying. 
So I just got this look. I just looked right over the top of his head. He thought I was looking at him, but I was just looking over the top of his head. And about the second week, two and a half weeks into revival, one night I preached about hell as hot as I could preach about it. And when I got through, I was so exhausted and so depleted in my physical energy that I just bowed my head at the pulpit and I started praying in the altar call. And all of a sudden, something grabbed hold of me and it, it so startled me. I, I, I just, I thought I had been had. I mean, I, I thought somebody was fixing to hurt me. And it was that old man. He grabbed hold of me. He started shaking me. He said, Preacher, pray for me. Pray for me. I need God in my life. And I laid hands on him, and God mercifully forgave him of all of that evil in his life, and God filled him with the Holy Ghost. God blessed his life. But I'm telling you, the only thing that changed his life was the convicting power of the Holy Ghost. And we have gotten to the place where we can have church so comfortably that nobody ever feels the least bit like, I need to pray. Amen. Now, folks, if they don't feel their need to pray here, pray tell me where are they going to feel it? They're not going to feel it at Walmart. They're not going to feel it at the, at the mall. They're not going to feel it at Starbucks. If they don't feel something of the convicting power of God, and that's what's wrong, and I'm not just being critical, but that's what's wrong of our church world today. And I mean Baptist, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Methodist, Unitarian, whatever you want to call yourself or whatever people call themselves. That's what's wrong with our spiritual culture is we have lost the convicting power of the Holy Ghost. I don't know when it left us. I don't know when it slipped away from us. I don't know when we got to church and having comfortable church and what we call good church. But what I'm praying for is that God will send a revival to this church of the convicting power of the Holy Ghost. That when somebody comes in that doesn't know God or somebody comes in that doesn't live right, that something will get hold of their heart and begin to pull them to an altar saying you need to pray. Here's where you can find an answer for your life. This is where you can find hope. This is where you can find help. Amen. And you know what? The reason the convicting power of the Holy Ghost has left our church is because it has left our personal lives. There are a lot of us, you hear me tonight, and I'm closing. Brother John, come on, so I will. There's a lot of us that have let some convictions that God put in our life to help us and make us what we need to be, that we have, through our years of living, decided it wasn't needed or necessary. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm beyond that. You're never beyond a conviction. You're never beyond a personal conviction in your life. Never. So if God convicted you of something and said, you know what, it would be best that you didn't do that. It's not that it's a heaven or hell issue. It's just you, you, you don't need to do that. You're, it's not going to be good for you. 
Or if God said, you know what, you, you, need, to, you need to live this way. You say, really? You, everybody else is not required to do that. It doesn't matter what everybody else is required. When God speaks to me personally, it's incumbent that I listen to what God, because God knows me. He knows what it's going to take to help me be saved. He knows what it's going to take to help me get through. And so he puts in my life the things that are necessary to help me become the person that he wants me to be. And so when I start discarding my, my convictions, when I start letting, saying they don't matter, it, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe. Everybody's going to heaven. All dogs go to heaven. That's what the movie says. And I'm not saying you're a dog. I'm just saying that's what the world says. All dogs go to heaven. Now, they don't say it, but subvertly they're suggesting to all of us that everybody's going to be saved. And the Bible, as much as I hate to contradict what the world is saying, the Bible says that not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter there. Who's going to enter? He that doeth the will of my Father. In a world where things are slipping away and they're slipping in and we're trying to slip by, somebody needs to reach out and take hold of something steadfast and say, Oh God, don't let me drop this. Don't let it be my generation. God, don't let it be this generation. Don't, don't let it be... I was encouraged today, and I, I, I shut up. I, I promise you. The worry for one of the political parties in our nation was stated today that there's a young generation of 12 to 15-year-olds that are rising up that are turning away from the liberal interpretation of life, and they are moving back toward a more spiritual founding because they are wise enough to know that what has been pushed and promoted is not producing what everybody promised it would. And they're smart enough to say, you know what? I know something that is. I know something that still works. I know something that's still worth holding on to. And so they have become a pariah to one of our political parties because it was that group that this party has targeted as the gateway of change, they're the ones that's going to bring about this radical sweeping change of the mindset of our world and bring us to a more secular culture rather than a God-based nation. And in the face of such folly, there are young people that are rising up and saying, you know what, I read something in a book. I read something in the Bible that contradicts and when I live that I'm blessed and when I walk away from it I'm not blessed so what do you think I'm going to do I'm going to embrace those things that will bring blessings into my life come on let's stand right now I don't know what you came to Wednesday night for I probably shouldn't have preached this until after the first of the year but you know what like I said some of us can't wait till after the first we need the word right now because there's just too much slipping away. There's too much slipping in. There's too much slipping by. Come on. Don't, don't, let, don't let your generation be the generation that lets this slip. 
I have the utmost confidence in these young people up here. I don't know that I've ever seen, and they're not perfect, and I'm not trying to build them up, but I've never, in a, I say never, in a long time, I have not seen the hunger that I've seen in these young people in our church right now to live for God and do what's right. I applaud you tonight, young men. I applaud you, young ladies. Our children. When they ought to have encouragement from parents, there are some parents that are completely absent, but they're going on anyway. I want to thank you for that. And even when some of us older folks are juggling, trying to figure out whether we believe it or not, they're coming to an altar and they're falling on that altar and saying, God, whatever your word says, that's what I want to do. God, help me to live that word. Help me to do what you want me to do. Help me to be the kind of man or woman you've called me to be. Don't, don't let anything slip through your grasp. Reach over and take somebody by the hand right now. Holy Ghost, I feel your presence here right now. I feel your touch upon this place, Lord. God, there are little, there are little children, there are babies tonight that are depending on some parents to rise up and say, you know what, I need to quit playing around and I need to start living for God. I need to really start living for God. I don't mean going through this little play church thing. I mean really living for God. There are some young people who are desperately needing parents to step up and say, you know what, we still believe this. We still embrace this. We still live by this. This is still our house whole order. This is still the directing light of our family. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Oh God, there's a mother here tonight, God. Touch her heart. Stir something in her, Lord, to want to take hold of you and the promises of God and say, you know what, whatever it takes, whatever I've got to do, whatever I've got to to, to let go of, of this world, whatever I've got to release in this present age, God, I don't want to let go of what matters, and that's you, your word, your spirit, the Messiah. Oh, oh Lord, I need, I need you, Jesus. 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 Lord, right now, would you help us touch this church family? Minister, Lord. I'm, I'm reaching for some young married couples tonight, God. I'm reaching to some young moms and dads. I'm, I'm reaching for some people. God, I know they may feel uncomfortable right now, but you sent me as a, as a watchman. And my job is not to make them feel comfortable. My job is to sound the alarm and tell them what I see and what I see is what you saw and what you inspired your prophet to write and your minister to write concerning almost 2,000 years ago. Therefore, therefore, we ought to take the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard lest at any time they should slip from our grasp. 